Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. This is such a crazy podcast for me to be recording right now. Um, somebody that I always admired, even though uh, they were a couple years younger than me in school, which is is weird. You know, when you're in school, years really matter. Age matters. And then as you get older, uh, you don't even remember how old you are and you don't remember how old your friends are. And uh, uh, things just kind of like all melt together. But uh, the guy that I have on the phone, we're gonna go. We're gonna call him John. Uh, John is not his real name, and if I accidentally use his real name, I'm going to uh, edit it out. Uh, but uh, the reason we're going with a code name here is because we have the privilege to be talking with a uh, special forces, special operations. Uh, sniper in our uh, military here in America, and uh, that's about as specific as we're going to get. But uh, this is somebody that I remember uh, probably mostly from football practice because uh, he was he was like I said he was a couple years behind me in school, and uh, uh, we played football together. And here's what's interesting: so the the specific memory that whenever uh, John's name gets brought up to me that pops into my mind is uh, when we were uh, at football practice, would have been my senior year, I believe. And, uh, you know, I had a pretty sizable class, so it wasn't like we were desperate for, you know, like young guys to come play up with uh, older guys. But uh, John here just, like, it, it it was an it was a given it was an obvious he could hang with the big dogs he was uh he was a big dude for his age uh but he was also more importantly he was tough and uh i remember him uh normally i think i think john you were you played line mostly didn't you uh at least when you were in uh your freshman sophomore year is that right yeah no that stayed true uh offensive defensive line yeah yep and uh, the reason he got to come up and play with uh, the guys that were a couple years older than him is because he would be the running back for uh, <laughs> for whatever we were doing, uh, scout team plays to go against our defense, our varsity defense. He'd get tossed in there to play running back because he was he was like the only one big enough to really give the older guys a challenge and would run hard enough. And uh, of course, the coaches loved him because of that. And uh, only uh, only if they were being lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. There was a few other guys they'd they'd rotate in there, but but uh, no, John would get out there and. That's one of my my memories is him just running so hard, and I think you just blasted one of our seniors over or something like that, and uh, somebody referred to you as a Viking, John, you dang Viking. <laughs> and I was like, I remember standing there, I'm like, yeah, that kind of fits. He is he is kind of like a he's got he's got some Viking like qualities to him, and uh, so when I heard that uh, you're doing what you do now. And uh, 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 with special operations, uh, it made it clicked, and so I was like, "Yep, that makes total sense." And I bet not only you know, not only is it super uh, challenging to to get to where he's gotten, but 
I, it wasn't like, oh, I bet he barely made it. It's like, no, I, he, that doesn't surprise me. And he's probably one of the best, one of the best guys there. So, uh, it's just a real privilege to be able to talk. And again, I say it all the time. Hunting brings people together because John and I haven't, uh, our paths haven't crossed honestly, uh, since probably that football season of my senior year, which is 15 years ago. And, uh, um, you know, uh, we started talking again through uh, Instagram and uh, just a uh, an awesome thing to be here and hanging out and we're already planning hunts together. Uh, we have a great mutual friend that I've done uh, some hunting with over the past couple of years. Another guy who, like uh, John here, got to play up with the big dogs quite a bit and ended up having a great uh, college football career, um, our, our good buddy uh, James Stratton. And, uh, um, you know, I was thinking we need to do a podcast with James, you and me and do that thing live. That'd be a ton of fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And, uh, yeah, it'd just be, just be a great time, but we're going to have to build that in around a hunt. We're already talking about maybe doing, um, a uh, late muzzleloader whitetail hunt together sometime or some pheasant hunting, whatever it is. Hunting brings people together, and it'd be great to have a good old high school reunion around it. So we definitely got to make that happen at some point. But, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, sports does for you is it gives you a lot of shared memories like the one I just brought up. But when I heard that you went to uh, uh, into the uh, division of the military that you're in and uh, – I, I instantly thought, you know, man, that's some really, really brutal training. And uh, just like a, I mean, so physically demanding. Um, they even make like uh, reality TV shows trying to, <laughs> trying to simulate some of the stuff that our special, uh, our special operations, uh, 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 military service people, uh, endure in their training. They try to like simulate that. And, and, and all. by the way, are those shows like anywhere near, uh, reality or, um, is it pretty well watered down? I can only speak for the one that I know about and it was very much watered down. I remember showing up there and they're like, you watch this show, right? And I was like, yeah. They're like, they'll never be that nice to you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because they are. I mean, they are. They do seem pretty intense on the show. But, but uh, yeah. yeah. It, so so the question that I've had for you, you know, I've always wondered. We So we had a legendary uh, strength and conditioning coach in high school, a person that could torture you in ways that you wouldn't uh, you you wouldn't believe could you know you could be tortured at that age, and uh, uh, so good old Coach Munson, um, mm-hmm. the most brutal workout I remember, Coach Munson. So this would be strictly conditioning. So if you're listening into this, we had Coach Munson doesn't sleep. He wakes up at what two three a.m. Every day, he just can't sleep. So wait. Yeah, gets his workout in before 6 (laughs) a.m. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so our workout started not like you had to get out of bed to get there. Started at 5.30 a.m. in the summers. Mm -hmm. It started at 5.30. So you'd go there. You'd do a warm-up, which uh, was, you know, like dot drill or uh, – 
different stretches um down like in, smell you know, the, i can smell the rubber yes still. yep the gym floor yep and uh then you'd go and get your regular lift in which was uh very time specific everything was timed and uh broken down on a card to be within a complete system then there was no no gym bro where it was front squats planes yeah. Uh, uh, split squats remember those Uh, or single legs you know oh man yeah brutal stuff brutal brutal and then you weren't done yet then you had to find out what he had cooked up for you for uh conditioning afterwards and the worst one i remember doing i think we only did this twice was the burpee like medley deal where uh you started at one end of the gym and you did 10 burpees and then you ran down to the other end of the gym and you did nine burpees and then eight, seven, six, you know, all the way down to one. And by the end, you know, by like when you're on number four, people are screaming, you know, people's legs are like buckling as they're running, you know, their knees are like buckling. people People have quit the team. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that was the, that was the worst one that I ever had from him. And then probably a second one would be, do you remember when he'd uh, have us do Tabata? Like the oh, uh, oh, yeah. 30 okay. seconds on, eight seconds off deal. Ooh, that was brutal too. Like Tabata push-ups or something like that. That was, that was rough. But um, how did that stack up? Like, did you feel, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not assuming that it's anywhere near as physically taxing as what you've been through. But like, I figured that would be like a good baseline just to just for me to see how brutal uh, that training is getting into uh, uh, where you're at. Did I mean? Did you ever? Did you ever think like, oh, you know, I've you know, I'm doing all right. I've I've had some pretty bad conditioning in the past, or was it like, you know, that that's like having your cup of coffee when you wake up in the morning, and what you're going through is, you know, you're on death's door uh, it's it definitely put you in, in the right mindset for sure that anytime that you're in that like kind of can i do this mindset mm-hmm. yeah is that's where you're at like it's not gonna get that much worse than that oh that's an interesting it's way just, to say it it's just if if your body's prepared to hold up like it, your body will hold up. Hmm. It will. It'll do a lot more than you think it will. And then, um, you find out when you don't get a choice that oh maybe maybe it'll go a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And if you just, um, yeah, those workouts were definitely a awesome jumping off platform. I'd say that. And then coming off that outside of the selection process, like I was telling you uh, earlier, people ask me, they're like, like, why are you like a proficient lifter? And it's because of that dude, because yeah. of Coach Munson. Yeah. Because he did not prescribe because all anybody wants to do in high school, bench and curls. Yep. And I remember a specific conversation with him they're like, Coach Munson, why don't you ever prescribe bench and curls? He's like, they're like, did you ever do it? He's like, yeah, I, I did it. In, I did a lot in college, and I would have got a lot further had I done cleans, split squats, deadlifts, 
and I and a few of us prescribed to that. Yeah. And we listened to it, and a lot of people resisted it. A few mm-hmm. of us prescribed to that, and I still prescribed to Coach Bunce's programming <laughs> yeah. today. Uh, and it's paid dividends. Yeah, yeah. And just, I mean, he was a guy that, so he knew what he was doing for one, you know, which is huge. And a lot, honestly, when you look around at what's available to most kids at most schools, we were so spoiled having him, you know, having oh, a guy that, that, that knew what he was doing. People are like, like, why are you, I was like, I had from, and we went to such a small school mm-hmm. that I was like, I had a really solid strength and conditioning program from junior high on yeah yep and you wanted to be tough because coach munson was tough like the 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 guy was just he he uh just emanated uh toughness in every way and uh mental toughness was something that i learned a lot from from coach munson and and uh doing those workouts i mean yeah they like you said they put you in that frame of mind like i I don't know that i can do this you know can i do do this and you do it and you're like Wow, at that feeling afterwards, that euphoria after you survive that is just is yeah. awesome. So, was that kind of how it was when you were doing your military training? Like uh, you were yeah, just in, in that frame of mind for just such a long in, period of time. In no means was I a physical stud. I didn't breeze through any of it. Um, every time run, especially for me, was a life changing event. <laughs> Um, I was not a runner, but I made it through and, uh, got through it and had some mentors along the way. They're like, Hey, don't let this stupid run stop you, Hmm. um, from being to where you need to be. And that really resonated with me. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you, uh, describe real quick for our listeners? Cause they're all curious now, I'm sure. Uh, what would have been like, a, like one of your worst conditioning memories when you were like most like physically taxing things that you had to do in training. I was at one point. Um, so I kind of breezed through the, f- other than getting hurt and first part I'm going to kind of out myself a little bit. People are going to figure it out on this point, but that's okay. Well, well, well if, you, um, if, you, if, you, if you can't say something, definitely don't say it. We can, no, I can no it's it, fine. But um, during uh, a portion of training, I was wet every on the, every hour on the hour for three days. That was about the lowest, <laughs> the lowest I got. That is brutal. And it, it started, it, it started, and it was totally by coincidence it started as just me i screwed up so i was wet every hour on the hour and it was supposed to secure at midnight and then my like uh squad screwed up and we were wet every hour on the hour and then the whole class (laughs) it just kept compounding i was like i was like dang in a tight spot (laughs) Oh man! As so far along as almost to the end, I was like, I was like, not even not at that point. Like, there's no even thought of quitting. It's just, just like, man, this sucks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, when you when you get put in that that uh, additional uh, physical t- strain, your mental toughness, I'm sure, was 
was really, really uh, pried on, but you uh, you endured. Yeah, so it seems. So uh, your your life post uh, your military experiences, I'm sure, have been uh, really interesting. We're definitely going to talk about that, some of the hunting opportunities you've gotten to uh, enjoy because of that. But uh, growing up, uh, you were kind of in hunting a little bit too, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, so my grandfather, he was a small game hunter, I think mostly just because he liked eating rabbits. Mm, yeah. So he hunted a lot that's of rabbits. That's a good reason. <laughs> um, but he was also a gunsmith, so that's where my love of guns okay. and, and like accuracy proficiency came in. Mm-hmm. He uh, loved that. My dad was a deer hunter and just kind of like because it was a thing you did yeah he was never super passionate about it sure not yeah it wasn't the way he like introduced me to it and i just kind of took it and ran with it i i had a i think it was a bill jordan's oh yeah uh, yeah dhs big buck hunter yeah back in the day that i about wore out I don't know how many times <laughs> I can watch the same guy shoot the same deer, but yep. I wore that VHS tape out. And that's awesome. Then the first time my dad took me to Cabela's, I bought with my own money. I saved up all year and bought an elk call. I don't know why. There was no <laughs> elk in Western Illinois. That's right. But I, that's... Had, but I, I was calling them in. That's awesome. Yeah. That. You know, I think little stories like that are so, so important to hear uh, when you want to understand why a person is the way they are later on, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's clearly something about a guy like you and your passion for hunting that those two stories really, uh, you know, highlight for us. And uh, I, I think I've told the story a few times on the podcast, my parents growing up, you know, unfortunately there was a, a terrible hunting accident, uh, in not in our family, but, um, a close friend of my parents and their family. And, uh, the guy was actually a coworker with, with my dad. And, uh, because of that, they wanted, you know, hunting represented danger and loss and, and, uh, you know, risk that wasn't worth taking. And so they, they not only, you know, wanted to keep hunting out of the picture, uh, when I was like really young, but, um, they also wanted to, nothing to do with guns. You know, my dad grew up in a family where nobody owned a gun and, and, uh, you know, so he, he was like a classic city slicker, you know, uh, growing up and, and, uh, uh, he, they said we were not even going to buy Kent toy guns, you know, when he's a little kid. Well, then I started eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches into the shapes, you know, like shape of a Beretta or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, when I when I saw that you'd started this whole podcast and everything. Yeah, yeah. My first reaction was surprise huh. that just because of where we grew up. Yeah. That where because like in our school, um, a deer tag was you got a day off school. Yep. And I kind of assumed everybody did that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first reaction was surprised that you didn't. Yep. 
Yeah, and I was always interested in it, you know. Uh, do you remember the Wilkerson's at all? Like uh, Nick and Ryan Wilkerson? So uh, You guys grew up near, right near each other, right? Uh, I wouldn't say. So I was I was over in uh, the housing development that was, I, I don't know, I won't be so specific as to mention uh, a town here, but uh, where, where the rumor was all the rich people in the district live. So, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. Nick was over by Close the high enough. school. Yeah, that's right. Nick was over by the high school, but I was over there all the time. We were, mm-hmm. Nick was one of my best friends in high school and his family hunted a lot. And, um, so they kind of like kept me in the circle, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never hunted until I was in my mid twenties, you know, but, but, uh, the, you know, it's that it's those stories like you talked about buying the elk call. There's no reason for you to have that elk call other than something is wired within you that you were, you were a hunter, you were born a hunter. And, uh, the same thing is true for me. It just took me until I got that opportunity, you know, when I was uh, much older and, uh, there's those, you know, like the peanut butter and jelly, uh, type stories where, you know, and like, then after that point, they're like, okay, this is hopeless. And they start buying me like cap guns and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was bound to happen at some point. I think, they knew, right. I think they knew that. And I'm sure your, your, you know, your parents knew that about you when they're like, okay, this kid, he's going to, he may not be able to hunt elk now, but he's going to be hunting elk at some point in his life. Well, you know, I, I was just talking to my dad on the phone and we we're talking about appropriate ages to give children guns. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, I had a, a BB gun mm-hmm. real early and I petitioned him at one point and I said, dad, I was like, I keep wounding animals. I need more power. <laughs> and, and he was like, that's a fair argument. <laughs> and the 22 came, and it was, I was very young. Yeah. Well, it obviously didn't, it didn't harm you at all. You know, another, yeah. uh, I, I won't mention his name. Um, but imagine the craziest person that, uh, we went to high school with, um, he once shot himself in the foot with a twenty-two, and uh, this person was legendary for their uh, pain threshold. Um, if, if you uh, can think of who I'm talking about here, and he said, uh, "Yeah, he shed a tear." I got an idea. Yeah, he shed a tear over, over, uh, over that. But um, uh, no, that that obviously, you know, giving you that twenty-two, uh, no harm, no foul there, and it ended up paying off in the long run, and. Yeah, it is like yeah, a good investment on his part. Yeah, yeah. And and uh you know the the whole topic, like how how old do you does your kid have to be before and not just guns, but like a lot of dangerous stuff, you know? Knives. Yeah, knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and my believe it or not, you know, even though they didn't let me um hunt because my dad was a city slicker, like he grew up in, uh, I mean, there's not really a better way to describe it. Just a ghetto, <laughs> a hood. He grew up in the hood in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, which uh, people call Council Tucky or the Armpit of Omaha. You know, the all that stuff. The, it's a really rough town with a lot of a lot of drug problems, a lot of violence, stuff like that. So because of that even though he was a city slicker, he was pretty, uh, like, you know, let me do it, you know, whatever I was going to be doing 
from a very early, you know, like riding my bike when I was, you know, kindergarten age, all over town, across the highway, you know, he'd send me on errands to go, you know, run to the hardware store on my bike uh, before we were living in the, the area where we went to school. We were living in another town in Northern Illinois and, and, uh, you know, so stuff like that, they would, and then, so he gave me my first pocket knife when I was probably, I don't know, maybe less than kindergarten age or something like that, you know, is like, and now I have a son that age. There's no way I'm giving him a pocket knife. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, uh, but at the same time, you just, you know, it's like what you talked about with, you know, getting that 22, like there's something that is triggered in our brains. I think when we, if we can really understand the gravity of what it is that we're handling or what, what it is that we're doing, that it pulls responsibility out of us. You know what well, I mean? I think, I think, I mean, you're a, you're a dad, I'm not, but it's different because my brother didn't get the same thing at the same age. It's huh. not an age. It's not a number. It's like a, are you ready for it? And like, I think like a the, mentality. Fact that I, the fact that I petitioned my dad. Yeah. As to why. And the same thing. So the counter of that story is as soon as my grades started slipping, that 22 was taken from me. Wow. That's a good dad. And I was crushed. Yeah. And, and my grades came right back up. Yep. And they stayed there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a good dad move for sure. So yeah. it's, but it's all part of what built you to, who you are today, which I think is, uh, you know, on, on, it's awesome to hear that history. So grew up doing a little bit of hunting. Now you've done a lot of hunting. Um, yeah. you've, uh, uh, on some of your, uh, uh, deployments have been able to, uh, hunt in some pretty, uh, exotic places. And, yeah. uh, you've done kind of an Africa tour, right. Of, uh, you yeah. know, hunting on the savannas yeah. of Africa. Can you, can you and tell us some of the, some of the species you were able to target? Yeah. So, uh, on my first deployment, um, I actually was able to get in the outfitter. Not a lot going on. We were in Uganda. We were uh, working with the Ugandan People's Police Force, Defense People's Police Police Defense Force, um, and not heavy workload. Sure. So we had some time off, and uh, this guy that worked at the embassy, his son was an outfitter, and was like, "Hey, kind of, kind of approached us, and he's like, hey, 'Hey, we'll give you a pretty sweet deal. Um, come out for us. It's this much per day. I can't remember the numbers, but it was a pretty sweetheart deal. And then basically broke down per species, but also like." gave us a little bit of a discount because like hey because we know you're a good shooter if there's any problem animals you can help us take care of that and so that's cool me and another guy agreed uh went and did that uh right as soon as we got to camp um this lady came in and it was like the mista mista from uh from uh Happy Gilmore, like Mr. Misa, please come kill these these uh, <laughs> baboons. And they were talking about, and the guy on the way in was talking about how terrible that these baboons are just tearing up everything. And so we got to go in, and, 
and kind of like creep up and shoot these baboons. And everywhere we went, there was park rangers with us too. Uh, okay, yeah. The po- poaching was terrible in that area. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, to the point where we saw a couple of animals and we tried to chase them down, like animals that escaped snares. Mm-hmm. Like with their necks all tore up. Oh. But anyway, we uh, we kind of got to subdue some of these baboons and kind of relieve the town of some of those. That's and, nasty. Uh, and our our target species at there was uh, zebras. So, so real quick here, this baboon story fascinates me. So they had so so baboons. They're kind of, I mean, they always seem so temperamental when you see them in like document, you know, nature documentaries or whatever. They just seem like like they got a bad attitude. They're and they're pretty dangerous. Oh, they're vicious. They they come in and they riot. They basically like kind of like the old wild west they ride into these towns and they they steal all the crops and they'll grab they kill all the dogs they steal whoa. babies whoa oh yeah it's wild and the guy I... was like <laughs> on our way in the guy was like uh he's like man if you see any of these things like we'll kill them on site and as he's saying that <laughs> we drive by there's this big huge male and i was like like that <laughs> And <laughs> so did jump he... out, grab guns, and he, they, the big males are smart too. Oh man! So, so did you just pop him then? No, he he made off. Uh, even when when we went up, uh, to when we stocked up on the the big harem, I guess you'd call them of of uh, baboons. They were living in these in between these two big rock features. There's all these trees in between these two rocks. So we creeped over the one. As soon as we crested the hill, the big like alpha males, they just pieced out. They were gone. Really? Uh, They're the like juveniles. What? The juvenile males kept charging us. Whoa. Was that scary? We just, Is that kind of freaky? It, it was. A, and they, well, they like would kind of do like a show of force. So they'd charge you and they'd show you their fangs. They have giant. Yeah, they have. I've, I've seen that. The, those are yeah. ridiculous stuff I mean, of nightmares. Which is luckily a perfect opportunity to shoot them. And so we just like kept plugging those. And then luckily backing us was the park rangers with eight, literally AKs. Oh my goodness, man. Yeah. So, so were you just using a rifle or do you have like a pistol? I mean, what were you shooting these? Yeah, just, with? just, uh, Bolt action rifles. Wow. 308s. That's crazy, yeah, man. No, nothing crazy. What what a uh what a uh memory though. I mean, yeah. that's, that's Oh yeah. Cool. Did you guys try eating any of them? Or is that uh, kind of like a taboo over there? No, they wouldn't even even like the locals wouldn't even touch them. Hmm. Um, yeah. I actually tried uh I was going to get a skull from one of them. Yeah. That'd and they were they were cool. like no. Nah. <laughs> Don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Just just yeah. one of those cultural taboos, huh? Yeah. And, and then that's when we and then that was before we even got to the target species, which is like for us was just zebras, which is kind of like the lowest on the totem pole. Okay, yeah. So and it was cool too, because it was a management hunt. So they would we targeted the old crusty zebras. Sure. 
they're like, hey, this like this old bull's not breeding anymore. And then we'd take him out. And my buddy that was with me talked about a first gen hunter. The guy had never hunted anything in his life before his first wow. hunt was that. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're ruined. <laughs> yeah. That's like that's gotta be like one tenth of a percent of people in the history of hunting right there. Yeah. He's now now he's he's a super accomplished hunter now. But That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And he he got a, a perfect like double lung shot. Oh, and so cool. he thought he he thought he'd miss because it didn't drop right away the way mine did. Sure. And he's like, good. I, admit, I was like, you're good. You're good. Like, relax. I was like, give it 30 seconds. And <laughs> that is so, that is so cool. So did you, at that point when you were doing that hunt, I mean, obviously accuracy is, has got to be a big part of that. Taking down an animal that big, like a zebra, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know what is a zebra is probably not quite as tall as a moose but like a donkey it's like a donkey size okay yeah yeah, so so quite a bit small but you know caribou bigger than caribou probably yeah pretty pretty large animal zebras is they have a perfect bullseye painted on them Hmm. they literally have a little like their stripes come to a point right where the vital zone is wow (laughs) <laughs> that that is that is handy well it's yeah. kind of like when you you know i don't know if you've ever seen those those videos like um uh kip adams from uh uh well it used to be qdma now it's the uh, national deer association uh he did a video showing like the uh the little uh i guess you could call it like a notch in the deer shoulder, you know, so like their leg runs straight up their body, obviously. Yeah. But then it like does this, this like, uh, turn towards their brisket and then it turns back like up into the shoulder blade and like that little pocket there where the bone turns away and then turns back is like right on the top of the heart. It's like, uh, I mean, it's, unless you're hunting from the ground, it's like really hard to hit that with a bow bow especially i mean a gun you could probably do pretty good there but with a bow you know getting that right angle for the arrow would be pretty tough but um the uh uh you know you just think like man that is like designed to (laughs) to be like a little target on him but that's that's pretty cool on the on the zebras so then uh my my question was going to be yeah you had to have accuracy to bring a big animal like that down you had to have accuracy with the baboons that are charging you with their giant fangs wanting to tear your face off uh had you already been through sniper school at this this point at that point no i hadn't okay so when did yeah. like when did that start to fall into place for you was it like somebody had noticed like you know wow john you're you know pretty good shooter uh um, you know, have you ever considered this or were you like from day one, you're like, you know what, someday when I get the chance, I'm going to go through sniper training. Yeah. Um, that was definitely something I showed an interest to. And, um, as a new guy, you definitely, you cut your teeth with the like belt feds. Okay. And yeah. you, you carry, you carry the weight and, but I did it in a reconnaissance capacity that makes sense yeah yeah um carried belt feds with the recce guys 
and kind of learn from those guys and definitely had an interest in that. And then at my first opportunity, which for most guys like me, it was after your first deployment. Okay. Yeah. Then got to go through that and then, um, learned a ton of stuff from that. And, um, came away with the qual, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, the, uh, but yeah, you definitely need to show an interest. There's kind of two, uh, two directions the guys can go right off the bat is like the sniper or breacher. Okay. And so it's kind of what you show an interest to. And then after you cut your teeth, every, everybody do does the belt fed stuff. Mm-hmm. I wish I, I wish I could still do it because it's pretty awesome. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you kind of show your interest, and if like you really prove yourself, uh, you get what you ask for. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so uh, going through that training, did you have to like totally forget everything you? you'd done as a shooter and be like totally rebuilt or did you find that most of what you had learned as a shooter was like okay yeah that's great you know it's almost like bench pressing that's great you can bench press 250 pounds by the time i'm done with you you're gonna be benching 400 was it like that or was it like nope we need to dismantle everything you've done you've got all these what they called bad habits and we got to you know training on good habits i i definitely had a little bit of bad habits um so the same guy i was talking about earlier the guy that never hunted anything before he went to sniper school with me um ended up being one of the best dudes ever possibly because he'd never really been on a long gun before okay yeah so he's a blank slate yeah um i had a little bit of a learning curve I don't think it was because I learned bad habits Um, because I went back and shot with my dad uh, not that long ago. And my dad was pretty lights out, Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I didn't have like actual, I guess, words to put to what, why I was doing what I was doing. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just had found a successful way that, your dad and grandpa probably kind of showed you and then you yeah. through your own practice and yep. it's like, Oh yeah, I can, I can hit that target. I don't, you know, I couldn't really tell you what my process is, but I can hit exactly. that target. And, that, and I think that's the biggest part of it is like people, you could put somebody on something they could hold. Like I was telling you earlier, if you can shoot a hundred yard group, hold a good group, you can shoot a mile. You won't know exactly why, but you'll do it. Yeah, I need to. I need to have you coach me up because I am, like, uh, I I would say, I wouldn't call myself a bad shot. Um, I'm probably around average for you know a guy who has hunted about as much as I have, and and I did you know a big credit to my parents so like like i said once they realized that there was no keeping my interests away from guns um i earned i earned my first uh bb gun when i was seven um 
my sister, my older sister and I, we couldn't cross the monkey bars yet. My dad just thought that was so ridiculous that a couple of, uh, like a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, my sister being the nine-year-old, couldn't cross the monkey bars on the playground. And he's like, uh, he made it, he made like some, like almost like a bet. He's like, he's like, uh, if you, Melissa, if you can, uh, cross those monkey bars, um, you know, I'll buy you. Cause she really wanted a Michael Jordan, uh, basketball Jersey. I will buy you a Michael Jordan basketball Jersey. And, uh, or, and, and then he's like, or whatever you want. Like, basically like, there's no way you're doing this. Well, my sister, I, I don't think she did end up doing it. But when I heard that, like that was the deal, I was like, man, I know what I'm asking for if I can cross it. And I was like, Dad, does that deal apply to me too? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. He like went back to talking with my mom or whatever. And so like I I reached out there, grabbed those monkey bars, made it across. Of course, he wasn't watching, so I had to do it a second time. And so he he was a man of his word. He bought me a, a my first BB gun when I was seven. So like I did a ton of shooting with BB guns and pellet guns. Uh, when I got into junior high, I really wanted a pellet gun. So again, I had to have some other deal, which was I had to be able to jump up and grab the uh, or touch the, the rim on a basketball hoop. And uh, so I like worked my brains out when I was in seventh grade to be able to jump up and, and hit the rim. And uh, so I got a pellet gun and that had a scope on it. So then I started like shooting with a scope, you know, and I'd shoot like, you know, sparrows and stuff at my grandparents' farm and shoot all kinds of targets. My grandpa helped me sight it in because uh, he actually, he was in the military and he remembered some of the stuff from when he was in, you know, in basic training that when they taught him all that stuff. And, and uh, he helped me sight in that cheap little scope probably like like a, a one by mag or something like that you know yeah and so like from that like i've i've gotten some experience shooting but then you know i get to uh last year and i go to do a black bear hunt in northwest montana spot and stock you know this isn't anything over bait or any, you know any close range shots and uh we my friend who is uh by the way, he was a he. He is the ag teacher now at the school that you and I went to. So, uh, so uh, yeah, hunting community represented well at our uh, school. But um, he he went on the he went on the bear hunt with me, and we both were like, you know what? We're a couple of Iowa guys. Our shots never go beyond a hundred yards around here on deer and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, we need to we need to be able to reach out to 400 yards before this trip. If we're going to like, we need to feel comfortable doing that. And so we sighted and sighted and sighted, and we just like could not, we, we first of all, couldn't get our, our rifle sighted in, um, to save our lives at first. Like we, we were good at like 200 yards, but then, beyond that we just could not get a consistent enough group to like really know if we were dialing in well well then i have a really good friend who's another teacher at our high school um that we went to um that uh has helped me sight in rifles well in the past so we went to him and we did uh he likes to do the method which this this will probably make you cringe but it, it it worked for us and i it's where you like follow your shot on the target with the crosshairs. So, uh, 
if you're, you know, you got to have, take out variables, right? So you get, mm-hmm. we'd have it strapped down into a gun vise or whatever. And, uh, we'd, uh, you know, put the crosshairs on the target, shoot. Okay. We're, you know, low, right. Adjust the scope to match it. And so that's what we ended up doing to get on target. Well, then we, we had spent so much time doing that. And, you know, time is limited. I got a family. We live, you know, a couple hours apart from each other now that we only had time to take a couple of these long range shots. And my confidence was not great. So then we get to the situation and sure enough, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, we took a couple shots at around 400 yards. I think I hit the target at like 375. So we get this range that on this nice big chocolate uh, bear at 350 yards broadside, kind of across a like a drainage, Ooh. and um, like it, like kind of catty corner, and uh, a wide open shot. He's sitting there just feeding on grass, has no idea we're there. So nice, you know, easy target, right? Well, I tried to adjust my elevation based on the ballistics on the box, you know, of the ammo that I was using. Tried to, like, adjust for the height, and I think I shot over top of his back. And, and, uh, but I honestly, when I took that shot, I just did not feel confident. You know what I mean? Like it was, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm taking a bad shot here. I felt like, I don't know that I can do this. You know, how on earth does somebody get past that? Well, let's start with what reticle did you have in that scope? Uh, I might have the box right here. Let me check. Actually, I do not have the box right here. We just cleaned my office recently. Um, Describe uh, it to me. It's a Vortex um, 4 by 12 by 50. Um, It's got got, uh, the BDC on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't remember what those BDC lines are set for. I mean, well, obviously it's got to depend on what round you're using. Right. But yeah, take it away. (laughs) Introduced a lot of variables there. So for one, um, that BDC and that feet per second that's on the box, your ammo, both mm-hmm. based on sea level. Okay. Which you were hunting in Colorado, correct? Uh, Montana. Montana. <laughs> in Nowhere the near yep. sea level. Okay. Probably at least. We were at about 5,000 uh, feet of elevation. Yep, 5,000. That's where I start to make a new range card. Okay. <laughs> I usually have a, I usually do a, a sea level 5,000, 10,000. Okay. Because it's a significant difference. It's enough that'll push you off a target. Wow. Yeah. So, 
So explain, like, explain all that here, because again, first gen hunter podcast here. Yep. So BDC, I can explain that one. Bullet drop compensation, right? Or bullet drop yep. compensator. Bullet drop compensation. That's based off of a standard of a standard. It's based off of a standard bullet at a standard sea level. It's a reason why okay. I don't like those. Where I'd rather have a just standard mill reticle. Okay, what's a what's a mill reticle? So miller radiant reticle or a MOA if you're into that. Um, so there's two kinds of. Uh, it's not military. It's miller radiant. Mil- so um, the two kinds of like reticles you'll get out there are either MOA which are based off degrees degree. Everything's based off of because angular unit of measure. So okay. everything's based off a circle mm-hmm. um, degrees or uh, MOA is based off degrees. MOA is based off of pi. Okay. Uh, it's based off of radiance. There's two radiance in a circle. Uh, so Miller radiance is a thousandth of a, of a radiant. Um, so I like, I prefer radiance, especially for a hunting optic because it's less busy. There's less going on there. Okay. The MOA reticles, they're more precise. They're almost too precise. Okay. And so the reason I, I hate, I like, I texted you before I have a war going on. I think duplex reticles should be illegal. (laughs) And so exp- being, ex- explain what a duplex reticle is. The the classic deer hunter crosshair reticle. Okay. There's so just, just the the big T basically. Yep. You're just getting no information out of that. Sure. And you're you're robbing yourself of so much information where if you just get a standard mill reticle, you just tattooed a ruler on your eyeball. Hmm. That's a and, that's that's an interesting statement. That's that's good. Yeah. And so even in the less not even the high end scopes, if you have a, a mill reticle, that thing is super reliable and you can gauge and we've we've actually out we've beat laser rangefinders with mill reticles. Whoa. So so you can based on what your your angle that you're at, you can use that mill reticle to predict the yardage. If you have a constant that you know, um say so um say I'm shooting at like your standard E type silhouette is a forty inch target, forty okay. inch from top to bottom, forty inch um, you can divide that. I'm not going to go into the math right now. Sure. But they, uh, you can do an equation and find the range based off that constant. Okay. And it actually has, we've, we've beaten laser range finders from that. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Laser range finders like grass and stuff will pool laser range finders. And then as you get to the farther ranges, 
uh, we're talking past a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, range really comes into into play, sure, because the angle of attack of your bullet is so <laughs> steep that five ten yards is really making a difference. Okay. So what what do you mean by that angle of attack of your bullet? So past a certain yardage, your your bullet's coming downwards. Okay. At a, such a steep angle that it really matters where it's at. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good to know. So what what the what caliber are you using? Uh, it was a thirty out six is what I was yeah. using, which it's brings really up good flat round. Okay, yeah. So that brought up another question then that I had for you was, should I have bought? So you hear in Western hunters, you know, three hundred Win Mag right now is just the most popular thing people are talking about. Would that have been a better buy for me for that hunt? Do you think because it's a such a flat sailing round or is a thirty out six that as long as I know what I'm doing, it's just as you know, just as lethal, just as good of a round. I would I would rather you have good glass on a thirty than bad glass on a three hundred wind mag. Hmm. Okay. I would take yeah. that any day. Well, I'm definitely I, going I, to be be texting you before I get my replacement scope because I know I need a replacement scope from uh, what well, I had. The thing is, like, don't um, don't go out and throw out your reticles or don't throw out your scopes right away. There's a thing you can do. It's called build build your scope or build okay. your reticle. Okay. And especially like you, you have ranges to do it at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see where the impacts at. Like that BDC is not true to you, but mm-hmm. I know it probably has like a couple circles, got a crosshair, a couple circles. Yep, yep. So you can get the true drop and figure out where exactly that hits on different ranges: one hundred, two hundred, three hundred. What's your side in range? Um, two hundred. Okay. I think I that prefer zero. Yeah, zero is two hundred on that gun. Okay. I what do. You, what what I would do you prefer? Okay, so I should one hundred even on my. So I have a, a all carbon fiber twenty eight nozzle. It just lights out like laser beam fast. Mm-hmm. Even that thing, I do a one hundred zero, because I like all of my corrections in one direction. Okay. So I don't like. So if I were to, I could totally zero that thing at five hundred. Mm-hmm. It would be fine. Sure. But I don't like the idea, and I've been in this situation before, where holding low under stress just feels weird. Yeah. Like holding over, it's fine, no big deal. But for some mm-hmm. reason, holding low is super weird. You mean, so you mean by that you mean like if you were zeroed at two hundred yards and then the bear walks out at one hundred yards, now you're aiming at his paw. Yeah. To hit well, him in it the be that, shoulder. It wouldn't be that aggressive, but yeah. 
maybe mid leg or something like that to hit him in the shoulder. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so there's there's definitely a coachable thing. Now, build your own scope. Is that like a uh, resource where you can go and I could buy like a a mill reticle to put into my gun or or I mean into my scope or? It, so, I I believe Horace has. There's a couple um, options out there. Horace, I think, has a sheet that's uh, well. It's a measured piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And Horace uh, sells reticles, and you can put that up. You have to be at exactly 100 yards, mm-hmm. and you can measure from there. Okay. You basically, measure your scope, and you can also look up a good reticle company or a good scope company will have all of the. Uh, they'll break down their reticle and their scope. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't think most BDCs do that because they don't think you're that interested in it. Sure. Well, like if you when you really get into like the Christmas tree reticles and stuff, they they'll break down every the uh, the thickness of the line, mm-hmm. thickness, and uh, they'll go down like in a very specific detail because they know some of those they're customers are target shooters mm-hmm. but um there's definitely like don't throw your scope out for sure like okay we can we can work with it okay yeah well i'm definitely going to be uh, reaching out to to get some help with that because it's a problem that i want to fix really bad because i want to hunt out west mm-hmm. on a regular basis and i and i really have an interest in hunting antelope and i get the idea that you're talking like a 400 yard minimum shot in most cases for, for antelope, uh, just cause they're, they have great eyesight and they can get out of there, you know, lightning fast. Six is more than capable. Okay. That's good to, that's good to know. So but then like the one thing I would put everybody needs to have on their gun is a level. Okay. Yeah, I learned about that afterwards, so I ordered one afterwards. That is that is a great point. I saw that. I think I just was doing some YouTube, you know, how-to videos, and somebody on there mentioned you need to get a level on your scope. Now, is that because if you aren't holding level, um, your your bullet is going to like tail off weird? Like if I'm technically like holding it like a little bit, you know, maybe a half bubble off to the left or something like that. Yep. That bullet is yeah. just gonna be like a couple inches off, or could it be even worse? It can be. It can be feet off. Um, Whoa. There's there's an actual number. Um, I should have looked this up before, but it's like for every degree, it's it's pretty. It's significant. Hmm. And so, that, so good, maybe that's what happened then on that shot too, you know, yeah, I might, and, and you won't even realize it. Like if you're on a side hill, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to even realize it. Well, and we were, you know, we were just shooting off of a backpack, you know, yeah. as our rest. So we had no idea if the gun was level or not. I guess we did have a, a little bipod attached to it. So that kind of, you yeah, know, but helps when, with, but when you're, when you're out West and the, and the earth is sideways, 
and yeah <laughs> hard to tell that's true that's true okay so then i need to i obviously need to do uh, re-zero at at 100 that's doable for sure um <clears throat> i need to um uh, do a little more research on the bdc i need to then how do i then like calculate for different elevations then so you said you have a range so, card for sea level 500 or 5000 so feet above sea level and 10000 there are some apps out there that do a decent job but i use a ballistic computer okay um i have the gold standard is the kestrel 5700 ab that's by far the best Okay. Lately, I've been using. I have a Garmin uh, Portrix seven hundred one. Okay. Applied ballistic software. Um, applied ballistic software is so. Background on that is Brian Litz was a dude, a ballistician worked for Lockheed Martin. Okay. Yeah. And was kind of like bored with that and got into long range shooting. Okay. And wrote a uh, massive, uh, he made, he wrote the program that basically is everything that the entire world goes off of for, uh, for long range shooting. Okay. So anything applied ballistics, um, Vortex now has a bino with applied ballistic software, which is out of control. And I really want one. <laughs> They're sold out all the time because it replaces three tools. Like you can you can spot something up, range it, and get your ballistic solution. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, anything applied ballistics. But there there are some apps out there that do the thing. Um, so let's. Let's start from the beginning. Like you're starting from zero. Yep. Um, you have an app. Um, the box says you're going to get such and such muzzle velocity, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you can probably look up on Brownells or Midway USA, the ballistic coefficient. Okay. Those two numbers will get you in the neighborhood. Okay, yeah. And then on any of the ballistic apps, it'll get you in the neighborhood. Then you got to go out and shoot it. That's really mm-hmm. the only answer. Okay. You got to go so, out and shoot it. And so if, you know, it would be best to maybe, if I do a Western hunt and I need to zero in a scope, I need to get somewhere on that hunt at that elevation and take maybe some practice shots. You don't you don't need to get at that elevation. Okay. It just adjusted yep. based on the app what it yep. says. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the other thing is on, you know, when I adjust the scope like this, it it feels like I'm, you know, I'm playing with fire when I'm adjusting that thing. And then I see like You're these, right to feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so but then I see guys who have like these really giant dials for their for their uh elevation and left and right on yep. their uh 
uh, on their uh, turrets. And, you know, it's not this deal where you got to unscrew this, you know, aluminum cap and then you got to go in there with your fingernail or, you know, or some of them, I think you don't even need that anymore. Mm-hmm. You could just turn the dial. But uh, some guys have like these big oversized metered uh, dials on there and they're like at the range you see them, they're like adjusting those. I mean, what's, what is the difference there? Like, how do they know to mess with their, and why are they messing with their reticle? There's two things you're paying for when you buy a scope, glass quality, repeatability. Okay. And the repeatability is, so when you buy a $3,000 night four scope, Mm -hmm. what you're paying for is that I can go and crank on those turrets I can zero that scope, set it zero, and crank on that thing till I'm shooting 1,900 meters and <laughs> crank it back down to zero, and I'm back to my zero at 100 yards. Wow. That's what you're paying for. Okay. And the glass quality is another thing less important, but... So the way to get around that is reticles. Okay. I, I'll always advocate for buying good optics. The high-end Vortexes are awesome. Night Force is phenomenal. Um, loop, the high-end loop holds are awesome. Um, but if you have a good reticle, you sight it in, and you just hold over... So if you're holding, you don't have to dial. Okay. So those, those Christmas tree reticles, mm-hmm. when you're holding, you're just doing the same thing that reticle is doing. It's just when you're dialing that reticle, it's just changing your zero. And so to, to like, match, to match your range. So, yes. so you're set at zero and then you get, a, you take a range. It's like 523 yards. So then you would just dial that reticle to where it's you know you know the crosshair is right on you know you know that five hundred and seventy yards your three oh eight is shooting three point eight mils of elevation. Okay. So then you would just raise that up three point just dial three point eight mils in a hunting scenario would never touch my turrets. Okay. That's good to know. Yep. So in that case, then you're doing, you're moving the, you're changing the level at which yes. you're holding your gun and you're using that Christmas tree Yep. to, to achieve that. Okay. Yep. And what's the, what's the Christmas tree reticle? What's the name of that? Is that an MOA or is that? No, that's like kind of a generic term. There's all kinds. There's the, the trimmer two and three, the Horus 59, or H58, H59, they're just, uh, they look like Christmas trees. Right, right. Scope. So that's just, so like if somebody goes into the store, what what kind of reticle would they ask for if they wanted uh, that set up? Um, hor- or, uh, Tremor 3 would be, that's Tre- the most modern. Tremor, Tremor yeah. 3? Okay. Yeah, that's, that. I mean, that thing was built for, that's a combat reticle. Okay. And 
it's got um a ton of features on it super awesome reticle but Mm -hmm. there's so many features on that like if you're down there on the far wind dots of that Mm -hmm. on an animal probably shouldn't be making that shot okay so it's so that christmas tree is there to it's it's not just a up and down you know like what your zero is yeah it's also to allow you to adjust for yeah oh there's a you know, 12 mile an hour crosswind Yeah, going from east to west. Okay. Then I need to, you know. Yep. And there's ways, and there's ways to calculate it for your specific gun and your feet per second. Okay. So the round and the, the, the gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's good to know. How, how important is quality of rifle in, in, uh, you know, being a good long range hunter. Less important than I wish I could get my friends to understand. So like a, like a cheap, uh, like a Remington 700 model or a, uh, a, uh, um, you know, like all synthetic stock, you know, blackout, just bare bones gun, slap a, slap a nice scope on that. And you could, you could be a really accurate shooter. Absolutely. Or like a Savage yeah. XP a lot of, or something like that. A lot of like people that. do it backwards. A lot of people want to spend $1,000 on the gun and $300 on the optic. Hmm. And it's the opposite. Okay. Grandpa's deer rifle with a night force on it is going to be lights out. Hmm. That's so good to know. Uh, so I, I don't have an official uh, scope. Uh, partnership on this podcast so we can uh, talk brands a little bit here you're going to the store what kind of so as a as a uh uh special ops uh sniper give us your your like top three brands you're looking at um so top three um night force is my number one the uh when i went through cyber school we had night force nxx ns and xs and i didn't even realize that scope problems were a thing sure and then we switched over to uh schmidt and benders a german company for a while we had Uh nothing but problems and then we went back to night force and we had a lot less problems and then which Schmidt and Bender was the optics authority for a long time. Okay. And, and then we went back to night force. Our lower magnifications were, uh, loopholes, which I think would probably be number two. Okay. They're high end. And then, um, Probably the high-end Vortex. Mm-hmm. Because Vortex has a lot of range to them. Yeah. They've got the high-end. But what I really like about Vortex, they have a great reticle options. Okay. So like what I was talking about, um, the, you could, I've got, you could I've got get that Tremor. You could get got, that Tremor 3. Well, no, uh, not that Tremor. Um there's some licensing issues there, but, um, okay. The, uh, vortex, I have a 
sit next to me. I have a Vortex, um, like Venom. Okay. Uh, five by twenty-five by fifty-six, thirty-four millimeter tube. Um, that I bought kind of just to fill a gap. It's okay. got a great, it's got a great reticle on it, and it was like four hundred dollars. It's definitely wow. not. It's not the same glass as like the night forces sure but it it does all right and the thing is like i said what you're paying for is the tracking i don't care about the tracking because i'm never gonna turn those turrets yeah i'm gonna hold it's got like 20 mils of holdover and i'm just gonna hold over any target i need okay yeah that's 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 good advice there so then as a uh just as a hunter, what would be your top three purely as a hunter? Like um, you're, go, you're going you're going on a deer hunt and you have a good chance that you would need to shoot out to 500 yards, but also more likely you're going to get that deer at around 150 yards. Like what are you, what are your, uh, what are you, what's one, your top three? Night force, it's SHV line. That's what I have on my 28 Nozzer. Okay. Which is an absolute hammer of a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, the loophole uh, Mark 5s. They have a whole hunting line of Mark 5s. Okay. They're all solid. The uh, Mark 5 is cool because they have like anti-bump turrets. Okay. Which is kind of the downside of exposed turrets. Mm-hmm. Is you can bump them while you're walking. Okay, that's a good point. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then any of the like the vortex that you like, or if you want to get real, if somebody real money to spend, there's a Swedish company called uh, Zero Compromise. Okay, sells optics for about four thousand dollars. <laughs> Do you, do you ever have you ever used like uh, what is it Zeiss? Uh, isn't that isn't that a yeah, brand? Yeah, Zeiss makes they make decent stuff. Um, there's not really anything competitive. Gotcha. Um, and then Steiner Steiner is good. Um, Steiner makes probably the best binoculars in the world. Okay, that's that's a good little tip there. Uh, what about like uh, how do you say it? Trujicon Trujicon. Trujicon, um, well, so that brings me into a point um, from your last podcast that you released. Mm -hmm. Um, So a guy talking about the, like, the shoot-through rings. Yeah. You can shoot underwear. So so what what, uh, John's talking about here is uh, your scope rings sit high enough so that you can still see the iron sights on the barrel, right? Yeah. So the problem with that is it's kind of your priorities and your secondary sighting system over your primary sighting system. Mm-hmm. So you're you're putting your primary sighting system, which is your scope, in a crappy spot in the chance that you might possibly need a close-in shot. Mm-hmm. The way I like, I prefer to do, I do... And this is something that I took from the tactical world. 
in the hunting world. Mm-hmm. Um, I run red, like a small red dot on the top of my scope. Okay. At 12, 12 o'clock on top of my scope for a couple of reasons. Um, one for that right there where you bump into a deer. I call it the Mexican standoff. Yeah. You yep. bump into a deer at, at seven yards. You're, yeah. I feel like you're walking in or out of your stand and you bump yep. into a deer at seven yards and yep. your scope's at 14 power. <laughs> you pull that red dot up and, yep. and let her rip. Good. Um, so, so it's, ba- it's almost an opposite then. So instead of, instead of bumping the scope up, you're keeping the scope at the normal level and you're looking yep. above it instead of below yep. it. Ah, that's, yep. yeah, that's good. I like that. And then the other reason is when you're out West and I'm sure you run into that, you glass up a, an animal, a deer or a bear or whatever, mm-hmm. and you keep seeing them and then you drop down onto your scope and he disappears. Where is that bear? Like, where'd he go? And then you look up, you see him again, you drop down on your scope, he's gone. <laughs> and so that that red dot on top is you sight him in right there, line it up, and then drop your head down, and boom, there he is. Okay, I see. So the sight him on the red dot, then go peering through, because theoretically that red dot is adjusted to be hitting the... Uh, same spot that it your crosshairs. Same spot at 100 meters. Yeah, you're zero. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, so some really good information there. Then one other thing, I've I always try to be a stickler when I'm buying a scope to have a minimum of a 50 mil bell on there, uh, just because hunting happens so much in low light. You know, like mm-hmm. that's when animals are moving, right? In mm-hmm. first light and last light. Is that a good rule or do you not really care about that? Um, well, it depends on your magnification. Okay. So that 50 mil, um, yeah, it's a big scoop. But it's primary job, yes, to gather light. Mm-hmm. It's also controls your exit pupil dilation okay so and it also a big 56 millimeters uh scope also scoops up a lot of debris i don't know if you noticed that or not yeah yeah gets all that (laughs) dirt in around there and stuff yep yeah uh it's a big ice cream (laughs) scoop for debris um so the if you're not running a ton of magnification the bigger objective lenses aren't that important. Okay. Um, so if it's for, like a if it's like a nine by nine by fifty yeah. is is a little heavy. Fifty's yeah, way more than you need. So so um, it's an easy math problem. It's it's objective lens divided by um, magnification. Mm-hmm. So if uh, 56, like the big, big military scopes, 56 millimeter divided by 25 uh, magnification, it's like less than two 
Okay. Um, it's uh, so what what that comes down to is your eye has to really strain to get down to that. Okay. That's when you like when you get like they call it like scope eye. Mm-hmm. Like your eye has been straining to do that for a while. Okay. Yeah. And that would be that would be more there'd be more relief if that number was higher. Yeah. Like you Which wouldn't hunting, have as much hunting strain. Scopes, like hunting scopes, you don't need. I, I don't get magnification crazy. I wouldn't anything over uh, like twenty power is pretty silly. Okay, yeah. For a long time, for a long time, street tens were were the were the absolute deal in sniper scopes wow and now that now they're dealing with uh 35 powers <laughs> that's insane yeah and you're not well, you're never shooting you're not shooting with that because your long shots you need you're dialing back to 10 power anyway okay because you need all that view in your optic sure so what's your uh what is your farthest shot that you've uh you've ever hit on an animal or ever uh just on a target like oh on a target yeah. um thirty two hundred meters holy cow thirty two hundred meters that's insane that's uh so a mile would be what there's five thousand two hundred eighty feet uh uh, three point, what is it? Three point three feet in a meter. Two, two something miles. Yeah, that's insane, man. Well, that and that's, I mean, that's not like, that's not a hunting standard. No, 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 no. Obviously not. Just, just uh, it, it shows, it shows like if you put all this together, you know what, what kind of capability there is for, mm-hmm. uh, for that. Um, well, I will. I'll, I'll say this too. Um, so you're you're like thirty out six, mm-hmm. which is ballistically kind of basically the same as my three hundred eight. Mm-hmm. So I have a sitting next to me is a sixteen uh, inch barrel three hundred eight, which I guarantee is shorter than your seven six two. Yeah, and I've made hits out to like fourteen hundred meters with that. Wow. That's so crazy. it's like totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, definitely a situation. It's good to know that I don't need to worry about getting a new gun. Um, I may, I may down the road, uh, upgrade the scope. Um, just because has killed a lot of stuff. Yeah. And everything here in North America, I believe is uh within the wheelhouse of a thirty out six. So um it's definitely a it's definitely been a do all and that's you know, I'm kind of a, a I'm a bit of a romantic and I know that's such a historic round. That's why I chose that over the three oh eight just because <laughs> it's been around for so long and they're almost yeah. ballistically twins, so Yeah, I did a bunch of reading on it. It's like, yeah, tomato tomato. You know, it's 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 yeah. uh I think most people probably end up nowadays preferring the 308 over uh 30 out six 
Um, also, I'd like to tell you, all your listeners, uh, 308's not dead. 6.5 has not replaced 308. <laughs> do you are, do you hate the 6.5 Creed more? No, I don't. <laughs> I own a few of them, but also um, the 260 Remington, which is the exact same thing, has been yeah. around since the 80s. Hey, and yeah. It's just people people are uh the key on what's new and shiny. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Don't, that's good. Don't give up on grandpa's old deer rifle. Yeah. Well, and I have a uh thirty thirty that I really wanna oh, take a deer with at some point. Dude, I, I don't even, I forgot. The and the gun I have in my safe that's got the most kills on it's my thirty thirty. Oh, that's awesome. Is it model ninety four? Or is it no, uh, uh, Marlin? 336 Marlin. Yep. That's a great gun. Yeah, that's awesome. This is fun to, just fun to shoot. Do you Did you scope that or do you just do iron sights? I scoped it for one year when I was in high school, and I unscoped it because I hated it. The, does the Marlin have that um, straight out of the top of the receiver no. Ej- ejection? No, that's, or is, Win- that's Winchester. Yeah, that's, that's how Model 94 is. So yeah. I actually saw a scoped Model 94. The offset scope. Yeah, yeah. and it was like, oh, man, I don't know that I could. Man, you're like really that. trying. Yeah, I saw that at a gun show once. and uh, that, No, and that, that was before I knew anything. I, I put a scope on it for one deer season, and I was like, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't imagine shooting like that. No, that's awesome. Well, hey, let's do some uh if you wouldn't mind here cuz I don't know that I will ever have a another expert to your level of expertise on uh shooting. Of course, you know, I hope to have you back on the podcast, but but um Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. This has been great. But uh let me hit you with some uh rapid fires here so you don't have okay. to like really expound, but what is the worst hunting caliber that you think people go for for big game hunting? Six five Creedmoor. Six five Creedmoor. <laughs> what is the most underrated big game caliber? Two forty three. Two forty three. Winchester, Winchester two forty three. Um uh <clears throat> you have a muzzle loader. And uh, you have a max shot range out to 100 yards. You go on iron sights or are you putting a scope on that bad boy? Irons. Irons at 100? Okay, good to know. Um, what about a scoped uh, handgun, like a 44 mag or, or a uh, Smith & Wesson 500? Um, would you rather uh, scope that gun or would you rather go iron sights? Give me that question again. You have like a big hand cannon that you can deer hunt with, which I think you can do uh, in the state that uh, you and I are from. Uh, If you could, uh, if you were going to hunt deer and uh, you have like a 44 mag or Smith and Wesson 500, you putting a scope on that for that hunt or are you going to do iron sights? Uh, Red dot. Red dot. Ooh, I like that. Create your own answer. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. That's a good answer. Okay, what about a uh, 300 Win Mag or 7 mil? What's the animal? 
Uh, we'll go elk. Elk. Yep. Um, seven mil. Seven mil. How yeah. come? Just just curious there. So seven millimeters are well. It depends on how much. So, I grew up with three hundred wind mag. Mm-hmm. Huge fan of three hundred wind mag. Seven millimeters um, have way better ballistic coefficients. Okay. Than thirty cal's. Um, the uh, so like that twenty eight nozzer, twenty eight is just the different version of seven millimeter. It's a seven mm-hmm. millimeter and it's a four oh four Jeffrey neck down to a seven millimeter. It's a giant seven millimeter. Screaming sure. out faster than um I spent most of my career shooting three hundred wind mag, but the uh um seven millimeter is an inherently more accurate gun. Sure. Uh you're going into Grizzly Country, what's your sidearm? Uh, probably the Glock 40. Glock 40. Really? 10 yeah. mil. Yeah. That, that's what I, that's what I took with me on my, on my trip. I like that gun. It's a nice gun. Just because, and as much as I want to carry a wheel gun and I have in Grizzly country, mm-hmm. um, I carried a, uh, Ruger Vaquero and 45 long Colt. So I'm being oh, a hypocrite. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Being a hypocrite right now. Um But it just it just felt cool though. The forty five yeah. long cult. Yeah. But the Glock forty and ten millimeter, I can put more rounds into like a bear's head mm-hmm. faster, way faster. Like I've trained way more on that platform. So it like, and the ballistics are basically the same as a 357 Magnum. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to take a wheel gun, what are you taking? Um, Smith and Wesson 686, I think. Wow. I think that's the right. I've never, I've never even heard of that gun. What, what, what caliber is that? 357. 357 okay yeah yeah that's that's awesome and is that just because like if you go up to a 44 mag it's just so hard to control on yeah. repeated shots yeah, you ever shot one yeah yeah i, yeah, I, I honestly after I'm i shot that shooter <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so there you have it folks you got a a, a spec ops uh uh sniper right there and he's he's saying that the 44 mag is is uh too challenging to be accurate on repeat on repetitive shots and high stress moments like that. So that's why I went with the Glock. It just, I just don't see how somebody could settle that, that big old cannon back down into a repeatable, uh, you get trained uh, to it, but it would also cost you a thousand dollars train to it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. What about a, what about a desert Eagle uh, 50? Would you ever consider using one of those? Have you ever a, seen, a Desert Eagle 50 make it through an entire magazine without a malfunction? <laughs> no, I can't say that I have. I've only, I shot one one time and uh, the recoil off of uh, the shot like pulled me into another shot and that scared the living daylights out of me. Well, that, that's a problem as well. Yeah, that'd be a problem. Yeah. 
No, that that uh, it's fun to just throw these questions. Have you ever shot like a uh, Barrett fifty? Oh yeah, yeah. The army well, had them. Uh, we've never had them. We uh, we've only ever had bolt action fifty, which are okay. way worse. So are they more like, a- more accurate, but more like awful to shoot? <laughs> more abusive to the operator. Yeah. <laughs> So in, in movies they make those things seem like the uh like that is the you know automatic win gun. No, you they're like... there are three there are three MOA gun and like I think did we get into the MOA um, Yeah, yeah. So MOA like minimum angle, so three MOA three inches at a at a hundred yards. Wow. And so it's a three MOA gun. The average ammo Normally they shoot API ammo, which is um, um, anti-personnel armor penetrating ammo, which is okay, also yeah. three three MOA ammo. So okay. you're potentially, if all things work against you, you're shooting a sixth MOA gun. Like the gun's so, super inaccurate. And Barrett never intended it to be super accurate. It's an okay. anti- it's, it was meant to shoot at vehicles. Okay. So when they and when they does, show it, those... And it does a great job at that. So when they show those on, like, uh, movies, you know, like a hostage situation and they bring in a sniper, that's totally, like, that's just for showmanship. Oh, for Bringing out this giant rifle. God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I, there's one movie I can think of that I'm pretty sure they used it in, um, uh, Captain Phillips. Uh, where the guy's like, uh, his ship gets taken over by no, like, there's uh, no Barrett pirates. There. there was no Barrett. What was that no. rifle they were using? Do you know? Um, I mean, in actuality, yeah, I do. But um, I think in the movie, no, I'm not sure. In the movie, I'm not sure what they're using. Hmm. Yeah, I must have been off on that. But no, it's fun getting your perspective on those questions, and of course, getting coached up. You got any uh, big hunting plans coming up this fall? Uh, yeah, um, trying to do, like I told you, um, Colorado elk has been evading me for a long time. Um, I might have a line on South Dakota mule deer. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, and, but I need to get into Colorado elk before they introduce the wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gonna, that's, that's gonna, coming i'm not anti-wolf but i'm also pro elk yeah <laughs> yeah and there you know it's good that you bring that up it's it's a uh it's like a uh reverse uh growth curve you know yeah It'll be wolves will come in elk will drop hard then they'll start to acclimate so uh it could take it could it could take a good 15 plus years to get back to uh you know really high elk numbers after that happens but you're right it's it's coming so uh it's a good little tip there too to our listeners if you're thinking about hunting out in uh colorado for elk which is basically the you know golden city for hunting elk uh right now um you know put put that into consideration but uh man John, it's so good catching up with you, buddy. And yeah, uh, I feel like I feel like we could carry this conversation on for hours, man. It's just so good to catch up. And and uh, like I said, it's been way too long. It's been 15 years, but 
Yeah. Uh, again, hunting brings people together. That that common bond there, and so proud to know you. And uh, it's just not a not a better guy out there, and such a good representative for our community uh, that we both care a lot about and have a lot of good memories at. And uh, so, just thank you so much for giving me some time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Oh, for sure. We're definitely going to do this again, and hopefully the next time it's going to be live after uh, we're uh, done uh, skinning out a deer or something like that and uh, sitting around the fire or something like that. That would be, that would be a dream for sure. We'll get, we'll get James to, to get off the news for a night and uh, uh, come and join us. (laughs) Yeah. He's a busy man, but man, is he, uh, he's a generous guy with his time too. He's, He's uh, it's a lot of fun. It'd be a ton, Has he been ton on before? Uh, no, I need to, I need to get him on. I, I thought about doing it, but you know, he's like, he's he gets paid for his voice, you know, and I don't want him to like cheapen his product or something, you know, for yeah, whatever. my sake. But I think if we, you know, if we did it like at a hunt or something like that, I think it'd be awesome. So yeah, so uh, no, we definitely need to make that happen. And uh, if you're listening in, you're probably wanting to follow John. I'm not going to tell you how to. He's got to keep that uh, on the DL. If, but if anybody has like real questions, um, that like really burn a hole in you, um, get through Kent and uh, get a hold of me that way. Yep. Be happy to help you with that, which is a good reminder there. Uh, if you are a listener, we do this for you. This is uh, this that's the main reason we do the show. We want to be helpful to you, so uh, reach out to us. That's super uh, uh, important to us that you do that. Uh, I've got some great feedback here just this last week on a, a recent episode that we did, and uh, that that just really makes my day to hear from you, the listeners. So make sure you uh, reach out. And if you do want to hear some more information from John on how to improve your accuracy like me, I definitely am going to be getting more information and more coaching along the way. Uh, Do reach out to me on Instagram, go wild Facebook, or you can even hit the email tab on uh, uh, firstgenhunter.com. And also if you're like John and myself, and you have your site set West, for doing some hunting, or maybe you just want to go uh, to another state to chase whitetails, or even uh, look at all the diverse opportunities out there on the East Coast, uh, you can talk to Alex Gruen from East to West Hunts. Go to eastwesthunts.com and uh, play around on the website, look at his different offerings that he has, make sure you uh, jump on and um, uh, explore that. And when you do, use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 at uh, check out and you'll save yourself 10% off. And of course the presenting sponsor of this podcast is Spartan forge. Bill Thompson, a fellow military guy, put that, uh, app together. And, uh, if you've been following along on Instagram, you'll see their new LIDAR map layer that they have, which is uh, phenomenal for being able to look at, uh, historic travel routes for game, uh, they wear into the ground, uh, whether that's deer here in the Midwest, elk trails out out west, or uh, <clears throat> you know whatever else, you can find those game trails on that lidar feature, and uh, that really can uh, add a extra level of of uh, help to getting you to a successful hunt, filling a tag. So 
Check out Spartan Forge. Of course, they have all the other mapping features there. I, I'm, I'm not fooling you guys. I use it literally every single day as I'm trying to explore a new hunting ground or even old hunting ground that I just want to know better. And uh, it's just been incredibly helpful. A super valuable tool. So make sure you check out Spartan Forge. You can find a link to get to their website on my Instagram link tree or uh, in the show notes on this podcast, click on that, get yourself the free download of the app and then buy the features that you need, especially the deer behavior prediction in the fall when you're trying to decide which day you want to get into your tree stand. But uh, all, all that to say, we're just so thankful for you, the listeners. Please remember to leave a review. Uh, uh, that helps direct other people to our podcast to get the help they may need to become a better hunter. And, of course, we aren't just uh, here for new hunters. We're here for old hunters as well, uh, those folks that have a lot of experience and can help out other young hunters or uh, just want to grow in their own uh, uh, hunting abilities themselves. We're thankful for you, too, for tuning into this podcast. Again, please contact us with uh, any questions or ideas you'd like us to talk about, especially in like a Pick and Bones episode that comes out on Tuesdays. All of that is great. But uh, for now, we need to wrap this one up. It's getting late here. It's even later in the uh, uh, part of the world for uh, somebody on this this call right now. But um, uh, we won't tell you where he is, though. But uh, we want to uh, make sure that all of you who've uh, tuned in know that we care so much about you. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting.